COVID-19 came and we all felt powerless. Some thought they had authority over it, only to find out none of us could cast COVID-19 out. Now, now, don't get me wrong. It's not like God forsook us and just left us between, you know, a big war between us and COVID-19. God was still there. But none of us really had the authority to cast COVID-19 out of anybody's body. We had to rely on what Jesus said, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, there are times when you can cast a disease out of somebody's body. When it came time for COVID-19, I don't know of anybody that was able to do that. I mean, I prayed, I fasted, I tried everything I could, but COVID-19 still came. I got it. And my wife got it. Both sick at the same time. Thank the Lord the kids didn't get it. And it was horrible. It was awful. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But something that I'm seeing happening is COVID-19 is still real. It's still something of concern. It's something we should take seriously. But there just appears to be a surge of power returning to the church. And when I say power, I'm talking about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The supernatural demonstration of the signs that he gave to the church to show through infallible proof to the onlookers that Jesus is Lord. It's one of the foundational pieces, the key factors of the talking points of this podcast. And it's based upon what Moses went through at the burning bush. If, if, a, if a burning bush and, and a voice coming out of it isn't enough you know, to believe, but Moses in the, in the state and the place he was in, knowing where Israel was and Egypt, all of that, he, he said, I, how, how, am I gonna, how do I know you sent me? And how are they going to know that you sent me? And God started giving him signs. He said to Moses, what is in your hand, your staff? Throw it on the ground. And when he did, it became a serpent. It was like typology. God was showing him, I give you power over the sicknesses, over the devils of, uh, yeah, over the devils of Egypt. He then said, uh, put your hand in your cloak. And he did. He pulled it out and it became leprous, white as snow. Put it back in his cloak and boom, hand was healed. It was God saying, I give you power over sicknesses and diseases in Egypt. So yeah, the staff is uh, the devil's, the, the leprous hand is the sicknesses. He then has him pour a water on the ground. It becomes blood. And if that isn't enough for Moses, God says, all right, fine. You have difficulty speaking. Uh, I'll give you your brother Aaron to speak on your behalf. You have the very same typology happening with Jesus on the Mount of Ascension with his followers. It says that some stood there doubting. I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. How people could have known that the Lord died, was buried, and he rose again. Why there would still be any doubt? I mean, it's fulfilled right there. As he said, he would suffer and die, but rise again on the third day. Why the doubt? Well, that's just how it is sometimes for people. They cannot take what is right before their very eyes and just accept it for what it is and believe. But uh, God doesn't get angry. God wants to help. God is patient. He is loving. He is kind. And he says, I'll give you signs. And he gave that to us. And he said, these signs will follow them that believe. They will uh, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will cast out devils. They will tread upon scorpions. They will speak with new tongues. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I just quoted you uh, 
excerpts, kind of shuffled them out of order there, of Math, uh, of Mark uh, chapter 16. So in the like manner as Moses took up a serpent, you and I do the same thing when we cast out devils. As Moses healed his own hand of leprosy, that's what happens to us when we lay hands on the sick and they recover. When water turns to blood, when you and I baptize a disciple in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is applied to their life in the water. And as Aaron spoke on Moses' behalf, the Lord gives us new tongues, tongues of the spirit that we speak. That is the power of God that I am talking about. And I'm starting to see it all over the place. You look at this phenomenal crusade that Wisconsin District put on. Man, was that awesome. Evangelist Josh Herring preached it. Uh, Pastor Rick Gonzalez interpreted. Just an absolutely phenomenal service. And we're still getting reports of what God did there present in that service. And for the thousand that, thousands that watched online, there's other Holy Ghost crusades happening. Uh, churches are starting to see now their pre-COVID attendance coming back. Guests are starting to come to church. And my favorite part of all of this is to see altar calls happening again. I love altar calls. I, I just love seeing people pray. I love seeing people travail. I love seeing powerful things happen. That's really where my ministry began. It began in the altar call. That's where a lot of the power gifts, the power signs developed in me, it was just getting down there and praying for people in the altar. When you get after it, God will use you. God will teach you. God will instruct you. He will use you in profound and uh, supernatural ways. And we're starting to see these things happen again. Now, again, we should proceed with caution, of course. But I think people are just starting to forget about COVID-19, not so much forget about it, but rather forget about how it felt in the beginning. And we're kind of ready to move forward. A lot of us are getting the vaccines. I don't know about that. I kind of have the idea, you first. <laughs> we'll let you try it out first, and then I may come along and do it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Some of us got the virus, and we feel like we've got the antibody antibodies, and we're just sort of trusting in that. I don't know. But here in our local church, the past few Sundays, the altar calls have been absolutely phenomenal. And we are seeing all four of these great signs all happening. The casting out of devils, healing for the sick, baptisms, and the infilling of the Spirit, sign of speaking in other, in other tongues. And it hasn't been, oh, just this Sunday we cast out a devil. And then the, the next Sunday we saw somebody healed. And then after that, somebody got baptized. And then another separate Sunday, somebody received the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, they've all been happening at the same time in the very same altar call, 20, 30-minute altar calls. All four things happening everywhere. Boom. Uh, I, we were having an altar call this past Sunday, and I was talking to a lady in our church, and she had some questions for me about uh, somebody she's going to be teaching a Bible study to, and I was answering her questions. This is altar call, you know, and we're talking about the things of the Lord. And as we were talking, I just felt a pull, pull on my heart to turn around. And I saw a woman standing at the altar requesting prayer uh, from our, the bishop of our church and uh, some others there. And I looked at this lady that I was talking to, and I said, we need to go up and pray for this lady at the altar right now. And we, uh, we walked up. She was about... Uh, 10 feet away. Immediately, I knew why we were there. I could feel the devil. And this lady, this lady who just by her, she, you know, a nice lady, but by her appearances, you could tell she's a 
raw sinner coming out of the world, doesn't know anything about Pentecost, nothing about holiness, nothing about uh, living a righteous life. And I could hear her say, I need deliverance from demons. And I thought I, that's why I could feel a pull. I mean, I, I was practically had to be rude to this lady and stop her, say, we got to stop and we got to go pray for this lady right now. And this lady was like right behind her. And we started to pray, and I, I didn't touch this lady. When I cast out devils, I don't ever put my hands on people. You don't see Jesus doing that. He, he would speak to the spirit. And I spoke to that spirit, and I said, devil, you know you have to go. Now go in Jesus' name. And I watched as that lady convulsed and fell back. And the lady that was with me caught her. And I said, go ahead and let her go down to the ground. I think if people want to fall out, let them fall out. Let them, let them go to the ground. Uh, sometimes it's just nice to you know relax in the presence of God. And I and I looked down as I watched this lady, I saw something in the spirit come out of her. I saw it physically come out of her and uh, it smelled like sulfur and I almost became very sick and I know others experienced this. As far as I could tell, nobody in the altar could smell it, nobody else could see it, but I did. But I saw this lady begin to convulse, she began to shake. Uh, the eyes went black, all of this, and it was just a matter of five or seven seconds that woman was delivered, uh, delivered from a demonic spirits that had tormented her for years. And I, I, I mean, just about 10 minutes of this, you know, more people gathered around, just pray. I just told people, let's just worship God, just pray. You know, a few people, <laughs> I looked around and saw a few people leave. They saw what was going on and they said, I, I'm out of here. Whew. Mm. Uh, if you're afraid and you want to get out when devils are there, you probably got sin in your life. That's right. You do. But if you're the type of person and you see somebody wanting deliverance from demons and you're not afraid to get around them and pray, you're doing okay. Don't be afraid of the devil. The devil is terrified of Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, he is afraid of you because greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. Amen. And another lady who was stricken with chronic back pain and completely healed by the power of God. Baptisms happen. People receive the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's like Mark 16 right then and there. Book of Acts. Bam. So it's happening. I'm ready to get on the move. You know, we did the, uh, the mask thing, the uh, lockdown thing, the social distancing thing, all the, the the hand sanitizer thing. And I'm just starting to see people now shaking hands, hugging necks. You know, people are just kind of ready to move forward and we're not going to succumb and change uh, for this. We're going to remain American. Uh, and we're going to be the American church. And we're going to do things the way God intended it to happen. So I, I feel to talk to you today about power. More so how not to go about trying to get power, but the right way to get it. And I'm sure it's going to be a blessing to you because uh, conferences are happening again. Camps are happening again. And people want the power of God to be with them, to reach this world. But then there are others. They really don't uh, have a burden for God. They have a burden for themselves. And that's kind of a concern. And a lot of people out there are frustrated that they are not seeing miracles and they're not seeing supernatural things happen. And they're like, you know, I want to be used of God. Why am I not being used of God? I guess it's, I, I don't know where it came from, but there's this, I, I don't know if it's a 
a failed leadership principle or whatever, but we got this idea that, you know, if somebody wants to be used, you have to use them, you know, and if somebody is struggling, if somebody's on the verge of backsliding, the only way to keep them in church is to use them. I think that is unwise. You want to put somebody in a position of power, a position of leadership, (laughs) you should not put them in there just because you're worried about them backsliding, you know, give them something to do and they'll, you know, serve the Lord. That does not work. It doesn't. I've been in church a long time. I've seen a lot of people. I have never seen anybody get right with the Lord when you say, hey, here's the offering bucket. Start being an usher. That don't change nothing. Or you you, you say, you know, you know, we got a spot here in our praise team. Why don't you start singing? I don't do nothing. There is not a verse in the Bible uh, that says a ministry opportunity leads to consecration. It's not. No, consecration comes from within. It comes through dedicated spiritual practices, not involvement. Now, involvement's good. Involvement builds a connection between other people in your church. And it can develop a bond between you and God, but it doesn't really motivate that. No. The power of God comes through impartation. True gifted ministry comes through the invitation of another. It doesn't happen when you want it to or when you expect it to or when you demand that it will or when somebody else says, hey, we've got to get this person involved. I don't understand these moms out there who have 16-year-old daughters and the 16-year-old daughter is doing the makeup thing, the haircutting thing, the earring thing, you know, and nobody's looking and the mom's like going up to the youth pastor or the music director, the worship leader's wife, and saying, you've got to give my daughter a solo or we're going to lose her. You have to get her involved or she's going to backslide. Get up on that platform. If, if it takes getting up on a platform to keep you saved, you've got a serious, serious commitment issue. If it takes being involved to be saved, I, I just don't think you're saved. You're not cut out for salvation. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. Once you put your hand to that plow, there is no looking back, whether you got the, whether you got the ministry title or not. That's not how power works. You're here to listen, and I'm here to talk. This is Justin C. Gleason, keeping God in your pod in the year of our Lord 2021. Please consider subscribing. Become a loyal listener. Give a great review and rating and share this episode with your friends. Contact me at justincgleason at gmail.com. Also, please take the time to follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Justin C. Gleason. Reference the episode notes for further details. Podcasting is the future. There's a lot of difference between being hurt and being bitter. Yeah, there is. Now, hurt can become bitterness. Preach it, Bishop. But once hurt becomes bitterness, you're done. Done. You're finished. It's all over. I don't care if they were 100% wrong and you were 100% right. It's finished. You're done. Hear the word. Until you repent of that bitterness. Repent. You haven't felt conviction until Bishop Billy Cole laid those ice-cold blue eyes on you and rebuked you for your hypocrisy. Rebuked you for the improper motives of your heart. 
he never did that directly to me. But I saw him do that a lot in his preaching, and that captivated me. Just because something happens in church doesn't mean it's spiritual. Just because it's occurring in the pulpit doesn't mean it's of God. Just because it occurs in the altar call does not mean that it's all Holy Ghost. You know, we we got this idea, it's going to be preached at camps, that you're the chosen generation. The power is with you. All of you are going to reach millions. You know, then you have that guy and girl that sneaks out after service and goes to first base, second base. They're about to round third base and they get caught by the uh, camp security. At that moment, at that time, is that really what they need to hear? God is going to use you. You're going to reach millions. And, And they're sliding into third base. Not so much. God does not give power to everybody that asks for it. God does not give supernatural ministry to everybody who hopes for it. He doesn't. I know some of you are going, oh, my word. You know, you can't hinder ministry. You can't stop somebody. Well, God certainly can. And I've got Bible to show you that the church actually did stop somebody from getting the power. You can read about it in Acts chapter number eight. When revival breaks out in Samaria, let me read it to you. This is Acts 8, begin reading at verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them, and the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, Hmm. to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the thanks concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done." Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned 
by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. There you have it. Simon wants to be used. He wants to be empowered. He wants to have authority. He wants to pray people through to the Holy Ghost. Now you may be thinking, well, the Holy Ghost is salvation. Why would God shut that down? You know, if a guy wants to help people to be saved, why would God shut that down? Well, it's quite simple there. God does not want to use somebody who is bitter to pray people through to the Holy Ghost. God does not want somebody to use somebody who is bound up in iniquity to be laying their hands upon somebody to receive the Holy Ghost. God does not want somebody who has bad motives inside of their heart to do those things. Because let me tell you, when you have somebody laying hands upon you, things are transferred through human touch. That's why I don't like to shake hands with everybody. And that's why I don't like certain people to pray for me. I have in my life. Now, I used to not do this when I was a kid, but since I got older, I do this now. If somebody's praying for me, got their hand on me, and I feel a check in my spirit, I'll step away. I really will. And I don't care if I hurt their feelings. If they want to understand why I did what I did, I'll explain it to them with love, with patience, with kindness. But when somebody has a spirit of bitterness upon them, I don't want that being imparted unto me. Somebody's bound in iniquity, I don't want that being passed to me. And I don't want to be in past to kids in our youth group. I don't know what it is about certain adults that feel like they have the authority to pray for all of the young people. I, I, I just don't get that. You really shouldn't do that. That's the parent's job. That's the youth pastor's job. Uh, adults, stick with adults. Stay out of the, the youth portion of the altar unless you've got permission and, and the blessing of the pastor. You, you need to just stick with adults. But this Simon guy... Uh, had a bitterness problem. That was the main problem. He had a bitterness problem, and his bitterness, probably childhood pain, teenage pain, led him to uh, seeking out witchcraft that the Samaritans practiced. The Samaritan history is actually really interesting. You you, you read about it in the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings 17, the king of Assyria brought uh, cultures, cultures, uh, from all over the place into Samaria. That's that's how the devil really works. It's it's uh, really a lot through uh, immigration, bringing other cultures into an established nation and setting things up, and that whole uh, nation uh, falls in chaos. And that's what uh, the kings and the empires of the world uh, did back then. And, and it works. It absolutely works. That's how uh, Antichrist will arise, he will do so through weakening the nations. So yeah, Assyria, the king, he brought in uh, the Babylonians. They worshiped Sukkoth Banath. Uh, this was the prostitute shrine to the goddess Sukkoth Banath, a uh, very sexually immoral goddess. Uh, it also says in Second Kings 17, he brought men of Kuth. They worshiped a god called Nergal. It was the underworld fire god, and it was depicted to look like a rooster. So you have uh, the Babylonians bringing in Sukkoth Benoth, a goddess of sexual immorality. You have the 
uh, people of Kuth bring in a new goal. You have the powers of hell and fire. That's that's summoning demons right there. So, bam, you already got the sorcery stuff. Uh, they also brought in people from Hamoth. They worshipped Ashima, the goddess of fate. Ah, fate. Not faith. Not trusting in the Lord. Not prophecy by the name of Jesus. Oh, no, fate. Fate. Yeah, the Sephrites, Sepharvites, Sepharvites, who worshipped Adramalek and Anamalek. These were gods and goddesses that looked like cows, and they believed that these cows, the only way they would have blessings from them is if they offered their children to them. Sounds a lot like aborting babies here in this time, doesn't it? Sure does. And then they had the Avites. They worship Nibhaz. It was depicted as a dog. And this was uh, a witchcraft. The enchantments, god and goddesses. So you have right there gods and goddesses being brought into the land of Israel, put there from other cultures throughout the world. And they brought in their gods of sexual immorality, the underworld, fate, aborting the babies, killing the children, and the powers of the underworld. And Simon grows up in this, gets involved in this, and becomes actually really powerful in this. Sorcery is the use of power gained from the assistance or the control of evil spirits through witchcraft and divination to do really wicked things. That's what sorcery is. It's not good stuff. And it's real. Let me tell you, it's it's real. If it weren't real, then it would not be forbidden in the Bible. But I can assure you, it is very real. It is out there, and it's with us uh, to this day in America, Canada, all throughout the world. People dabble in this to summon demons for power. Something that kind of caught my eye, kind of doctrinally here, Philip the Evangelist does miraculous things. He casts out evil, evil spirits uh, who come out with a loud voice. Uh, you see that a lot in the New Testament. Anytime devils come out, they come out screaming in a loud voice. And it's just a sign uh, devils are coming out, something to look for. You then have people that were paralyzed, healed, people that were lame, healed. Simon didn't ask for that power. But he asked for the power to lay hands on people and see them speak in tongues. That attracted him. That attracted him to even getting more, or uh, that attracted him more than the power of miracles. And I think it's because Simon understood that this is the gift, the first sign given to the church. It's like he's thinking, if I have this gift, then everything else will just flow through it. And there is actually some wisdom there, I think. If you can have anything supernatural happen, it would be the power to pray for people and build their faith to pursue God, to have that first initial sign given to the church in Acts 2, to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's just very, very interesting to me. And he requests this power of Simon Peter. Simon the sorcerer comes to Simon Peter and requests this power and pulls out a large sum of money. Uh, highly experienced, very effective sorcerers made a lot of money. You know, he bewitched the whole community, claiming to be a great 
one. I'm great. I'm great. Look at me. Look at me. Very, very self-centered. Love that spotlight through that sorcery. And he wanted to be able to do the same things because of the gift that the apostles had. It was something that was uh, so unique and so profound and the power of God was falling in the community and he just had to have that. You know, he's got to be the powerful one in the community. Probably felt threatened by these apostles. So he thought instead of fighting with them, I'll join them and probably outdo them. And uh, he bribes them with money. And the bribe gave it away. Peter looks down and knows that this bribe is a problem. Bribes are done for emotional manipulation. It's not buying anything. There's no exchange of goods. But rather, it's emotional manipulation. People using their money, their gifts, their talents, whatever, uh, to get their way and to get what they want. This is forbidden. In the law of Moses, Exodus 23, verse 8, Israel was commanded to take no bribe because bribes blind the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Bribes were forbidden. There is a principle in that, and Peter knew that. And he told him, you cannot buy the gift of God. The gift of God, the impartations, uh, the, sign, the initial sign of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, it cannot be bought and it cannot be sold. You look through your Bible, the gifts of God can only come through impartation. The will of God has to determine it by the impartation of perhaps God himself, but most of the time through another man or woman of God. That's how gifts are imparted. Now, think about this. You've got to kind of dig deep into this passage. You know, Simon is giving the, uh, Simon Peter money. This is the man that was accustomed to people giving him money. In Jerusalem, everybody sold their possessions and laid the, uh, the, the money, the sales money right at his feet. That was sacrificial giving. And he never forbidden anybody from doing that, but he forbids this guy right here. You know, giving spiritual, I believe in that. I believe in giving the man of God money. I believe in giving the church of God uh, money. I believe this. I, I, I take what Jesus said very literally. He said, in regards to giving, render to God what is God's, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And what is, what is Caesar? Well, it's taxes, whatever he determines. What does render to God mean? Well, look in your Bible in the Old Testament. 10% was always God's. So all of you doofuses out there that teach tithing isn't New Testament. Well, what did Jesus teach? <laughs> Render to God. So what is God's? 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%. It's 10%. That's, tithing is the beginning of giving. Offerings are the endings, I guess, of giving, if you please. So, And I believe we give. And you watch. When you give as unto the Lord, he will give back to you. He'll bless your life. He'll bless your education, your investments, and your career. Giving does that. It keeps uh, the source of, uh, of flowing. It's, it's, you're just saying, you know, before I spend any of this money from my paycheck, the first part I spend of it, the first 10% is going to be to God. And you're doing that because you want your career, your investments, your education, etc. All of those things uh, blessed. It's You're trusting God with this money, giving it away to the church of the living God. So you have those principles. You know, Peter could have brought that up, but he doesn't. Because this type of money being offered is not that way. It's not giving to be blessed. It's not giving out of obedience. It's not giving to be in covenant with the Lord. It's something totally different. And Peter would have known the proverb, a man's gift makes room for him. 
I know some of you think out there that that means, see, if you got the talent to sing, you'll always have a stage to sing on for God. Hallelujah. If you've got the gift to preach, you'll always have a place to preach. That's the gift. That's the gift. God will make room for you. Hallelujah. Uh, You need to understand uh, the context of what was said there. The gift has nothing to do with your ability to minister there in Proverbs. It actually means your financial contribution. It will always make room for you. I mean, think about this. You know, does a pastor uh, run out of chairs for tithe paying members? <laughs> does the pastor run out of square footage for tithe paying members? No. Does the pastor uh, say you have no place here, no longer in this church for tithe paying members? No. See, when you give, you'll always have a place in the congregation. That's what that means. Uh, and back then in Proverbs, if a man's gift, you would always have a, a place around the temple of God in the sanctity in the great place of the temple in Israel. That's really what that means. It's not talking about your talent or your gifting or your calling or your anointing. It's not that what that means. So this this didn't apply to it. God was not about to make room for Simon because of his gift. Oh, no. Simon was giving because he couldn't help himself. He had a bitterness problem bitterness bitterness is is, it's a hard word to explain i can't really sum it up for you in one or two words or or even a sentence i can't do it but it essentially when you read about it in the bible i understand bitterness to be as it relates to in the by god's definition god's meaning uh how it's explained in the bible and shown is it's when the human spirit becomes distasteful to god it's when the human spirit becomes distasteful to the presence of God. It becomes bitter, like you know, bitter food, like uh, uh, cranberries and and uh, Brussels sprouts and asparagus. All of those things raw, uh, horseradish, very, very, very bitter. Now, you know, when you get to cooking those things up and you add all your herbs and your and your sauce and your spices, you can make those things taste very good. But all on their own. Of very very bitter like romaine lettuce i know we usually use that in our caesar salads which actually sounds really good by the way mm. but romaine lettuce by itself it's a very very uh, has a very bitter taste that's what the human spirit becomes like to god it's just like oh this person just leaves a bad taste in my mouth it's like god can taste the condition of your heart reading the book of revelation God says to the church, I'd rather have you hot or cold. Lukewarm is, is just nasty on my palate. You ever, you ever tried to have a room temperature coffee? Ugh, it's gross. It needs to be hot or iced. What about apple cider? Room temperature apple cider? Oh, it's gross. It needs to be either hot or really cold. So bitter, bitter is like lukewarm. God cannot stand the taste of it. Uh, bitter people, just their spirit stinks up the room. Uh, they they just ruin like youth group. They and they know how to draw attention to themselves. That's what bitter people want. It's all about attention to themselves. You know, I'm the only one suffering. I'm the only one hurting. I need attention. That's just uh, how the bitter mind works. Uh, bitter people they're just incapable of peace. They're incapable of pleasantry. They can't have a normal nice conversation. It always ends up being so sad and so awkward and so weird. And because there's no peace or pleasantry, you can't have the power of God working through that. 
the Holy Ghost has a totally different mindset. The Holy Ghost has a totally different feel. It doesn't work through bitterness. It works through forgiveness, actually. Uh, bitterness is, uh, is becoming irreconcilably offended. It's, it's taking on the attitude of Satan. Satan's bitter. He's always been bitter. Bitterness takes on his characteristics. God doesn't work through that. That's why Simon was rejected. There is no power for that back then and here to this day. Bitter people, when you get a bitter spirit, you, these type of people, they feel like everyone's kind of out to get them. You know, everybody's up against them. Everybody's out to get them. We, we've been seeing that a lot in the last year. Everybody's out to get them. The whole system's out to get them. You know, some people, they claim victim mentality. It's just the, the spirit of bitterness is all it is. They always feel like there's not enough power given to them. You know, everybody else has the power, but they don't have none. They, they love to blame others. And you watch bitter people. They can't hold jobs. They can't stay married. Their community's a disaster. They don't have no close friends. Everything is just trash. No good. There's nothing good. Nothing right. Nothing righteous. Nothing pleasant exists in their heart. Bitter people, their spirit essentially becomes stuck in a place where nothing sweet or pleasant can dwell. Everything inside of them, everything around them, from their own mental health, if they're married, their spouse, their children, everything is just chaos. That's what being bitter is. So that's you can't be asking God for power with a bitter spirit. That's why Jesus taught us in his prayer, pray every day. Pray every day, Lord, forgive me of my sins and help me to forgive others. Because if you don't forgive men their trespasses, how can God forgive you? Forgiveness is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus experienced so much pain and so much betrayal and so much rejection. Having done all the infallible signs, infallible proofs that he was Messiah, the Son of God, to be rejected, he could have gotten bitter. He could have gotten resentful against this world, but thank God he didn't. Otherwise, we wouldn't be saved. And he wants us to have those same characteristics. He wants us to have that type of heart. He wants us to have that type of spirit. You want to be used of God's spirit? You want the power of God's spirit? You've got to be like Christ. That's how it works. That's how you receive the power. It's taken on the heart of God. Having a heart for God attracts the gift of God when God determines it, when God wants it. You want power? Develop a heart for the Lord. The next thing you need to do is get around another man or woman that has the gift that you desire. Serve them. Observe them. Uh, some of them you may not be able to serve them because they may not be your pastor. They may not be in your church. They may be in another district. A lot of my teaching and preaching style, some of it actually comes from other preachers that I don't get to be around face to face. I watch them. You know, I listen to them. I've got their books. I keep them close to me. And their ministry has been able to be imparted to me through various tools other than the actual impartation of the laying on of hands. And a lot of the great men of God that I looked up to, I'll sleep with their books under my bed because I want that their, their mentality, their faith, their gifting, their anointing to be around me. 
That's why reading your Bible is so important. That's why praying is so important because you'll take on the power of your Bible. You'll take on the power of God. And doing the same thing with uh, books from other authors and preaching and things like that. Just do that. You need to be giving yourself to the Lord. You don't give your money to the Lord for power. You need to give yourself. You know, you, you give your money for other reasons, like we've already explained. But for power, you give yourself. Give yourself. You become the money. Your heart is the money. Giving your heart to the Lord, that's how you will get the power. This power comes from heaven to lay hands on people and see the Holy Ghost come. The power to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to do all of those things. You can't be so consumed with this earth. You've got to become more connected to heaven than you are in this present age. You have to have more hope in heaven than this present age to have that power. Some of us out there, we just it's, it's like this world is everything to us. You need to have the attitude of the old timers. When they used to sing and believed it and lived it, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, not the pleasures of this earth are at hand. You have got to have a heavenly desire. The desires of heaven. Are there any sick in heaven? No. Are there any devils in heaven? No. There's none of those things. In heaven, the angels, as it were, talk in tongues. The, the languages of the angels. I, th- I really think speaking in tongues is like how angels talk. You know, you and I learned to talk by our, our parents teaching us to repeat after them. We, it got better when we got into school and as we get older, being around uh, people speaking our language, we develop it. Well, I don't think angels learn their languages like that. I don't think God stood up there with a, a chalk and chalkboard and said, okay, angels, repeat after me, C-A-T. Say cat, and they'll say cat. <laughs> and he writes out D-O-G, say dog, dog. You know, that's, that's how they taught us in first grade, how to, how to read, write, and talk. I think angels speak uh, through impulse of the Holy Ghost, and that's what tongues is. You don't learn through a class how to talk in tongues. It's just impartation, and bam, you got it. Uh, there it is. Okay, so yeah, be connected to heaven. Want what heaven has. You need to have a love for lost souls. Uh, Simon didn't have that. It wasn't about souls. It was about him to be seen, to be heard, to be powerful, to be great. You, know, you got to have love for people. That's what this is about. You need to have a burden for God and not a burden for yourself. That's what you got to have, a burden for God and not a burden for yourself. Some people, that's why their ministries are a disaster. They're hopping from church to church to church, going going back to Bible college, doing this, doing that, signing up for this and that, wondering why am I not going anywhere? Why am I not being used? Well, you, you don't have a burden for God. You don't have a burden to make the name of Jesus great. You have a burden for yourself. You're Simon the sorcerer. Your money cannot buy you ministry, and all of your education cannot buy you a ministry, and all of your gifts and all of your talents can't buy you a ministry. Um, you got to have a heart for God. Finally, it, if not as important as a heart for God, it's, I put it right on the same level. You just got to believe. It takes faith. Simon had no faith. You know, sorcery was all about money, all about conjuring, all about spells. No, no, no faith. You have to believe God for it. You have to believe in the supernatural. Yeah.
Uh, last point, I want to go back to bitterness. Some of you may be wondering, do I have bitterness like Simon? Do I have a problem like Simon? Well, let me help you out with that. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. You probably don't. People that are bitter don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> they wouldn't like a podcast like this. Oh, no, because I don't, don't get into this modern narrative that you're hurt and you're offended and you deserve you know, something good and great. You deserve to be used. There's other podcasters like that out there, other Facebook livers out there. Go follow them. But, but around here, you're going to hear nothing but truth because I'm loyal to the truth. And bitterness is real. And if you got it, you ain't going to be used of God. Your pastor needs to shut that down. Your youth pastor needs to shut that down. Justin Gleason is going to shut that down. Uh, bitterness, you need to repent of that bitterness in the altar before you even think or consider about praying for anybody else. Okay, signs you're, you're bitter. If you are given the opportunity to speak to the church quite frequently, maybe you're a prayer leader or something, and all you do is cry when you get up in front of people, I mean, I, I now I cry when I preach. I, I cry when I do this podcast. But is it, is it all the time? No, it's not. But I've just noticed a pattern through the years when somebody gets the microphone, whether they're singing a solo or talking, and all of a sudden they just start crying and crying. I mean, every single time. And, and you know, it's a lot of us look at that and go, oh, they're just so sensitive to God. No, they're not. Those are not tears because their heart is being touched by God, but rather those are tears of unresolved pain. Those are tears of continued shame. Those are tears of deep unresolved issues. They can't help it. When you stand before the people of the name to sing, to preach, whatever, who you really are will come out. It's very difficult to conceal it. And if you have bitterness, it'll be seen and felt. That constant state of pain and sadness and you've got issues. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. It's a sign you are bitter. Something to think about if all you can do is cry. Uh, do you get disgruntled in church business meetings? If you do, you stand up, make a scene, you know, ar argue about uh, the, the color of the, the carpet in the East Hall or, you know, griping about the church van or the, the new sound system or the new media screens or the new pulpit. You just get disgruntled about that and you try to make your pastor look like a fool and try to sway a vote and all of that. Uh, yep, that's bitterness. Bitter people cannot help themselves in business meeting. Uh, they'll, they'll try to completely destroy what God is doing. They are bitter. And uh, they should be sat down, just like Simon. Uh, that, should be, that should be included in every church bylaws. You know, you cannot be a voting member if you're, <laughs> you're bitter. Get out of the room. No votes for you. Uh, if you're always complaining, always blaming, like Israel did in the wilderness, complain and blame, complain and blame. Yeah, you got bitterness. I mean, we saw a lot of that a year ago. Everybody was complaining about the lockdown, complaining, 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 complaining. And you, you know the schmucks that complained the most about the lockdowns were people that weren't even committed anyways. You know, they're complaining, our pastor locked the doors. He's being weak. That's a lack of faith. He's he's uh, a part of the, the socialist new world order, blah, blah, blah. And you look at their church attendance, and it's like <laughs> few and far between. Yeah, it's bitterness. Bitterness is a boasting spirit. And they complain and blame. How about this? You can't receive correction. You want to be in ministry. You want to have the power. You better be ready for correction. That's coming. And that's a major test. 
a major test. Can you be told when you are wrong? If you can't, you got a bitterness problem. Because you take correction as rejection. You take correction as an attack. Everybody's out to get you. You, know, you just got unresolved issues. You, know, you were sinned against a, uh, in, your, in your childhood. You were greatly offended in your teenage years. You, you know, this or that. You lost this and that. You know, divorce in your mid-20s. And you've just taken that into your life, into your 30s and 40s. And everybody is mean. And everybody's out to get you. And you've been wronged. And you, you know, deserve to be in charge. And you can't take correction from the man or woman of God. Uh, good luck going anywhere for God if you take, can't take correction. Uh, I, I've been I've been in active ministry now coming up on 20 years. I still get corrected by my pastor. I really do. I, I've gotten cor- uh, corrected by certain elders in my life. I listen. I really do. I don't argue with them. Sometimes I don't let it sink in all right there in one moment. I'll have to go home and think about it. But yeah, it's it's there. It's there, and you think about, and I think about it and apply it to my life. Okay. Uh, bitter people always have big problems. They gotta have big problems. That's how small people are. Bitter people are small people. They, small people need big problems. <laughs> they make the biggest problems out of small things in the church. Yep, you got bit, bitterness. Uh, are you a church hopper? I know church hopper is not a politically correct term, but there's a reason the word political is in the word in the term uh, politically correct. I, I don't care about politics. I don't. Uh, church hoppers are bitter people. Uh, they can't find peace in any congregation. They they want power. They want authority. They want to be seen. They want to be used like Simon the sorcerer. And they're wondering, why isn't my gift being used? They're stopping God working through me. No, they're not. They just don't want your bitter spirit imparted uh, to the entire church. And, and people figure it out. It doesn't take long. Bitter people make a great first impression. They really do. Because a lot of times it's easy to identify with somebody's pain and hurt. And then after a while you realize their motive. It's not about being healed. It's not about healing others. It's just about them being seen and having power. Yeah, them church hoppers. Uh, signs of bitterness, all talk, no action. That's another big one. Bitter people, they love to talk, but uh, don't want to do a thing. All talk, no action. It's it's the, the deal. Everything they say, oh, okay, sounds good, doesn't work. <laughs> sounds good, doesn't work. They love to say, if only everybody would do this. If only everybody would get involved, we wouldn't have these problems. You know? <laughs> It's, uh, <laughs> you know, last week I opened up with uh, about the, the single missionary girl up there promoting her missions trip and, you know, screaming out, who will go? There's poor people. There's starving people in Utspots and want to stand. Who will give? Who will go? Who will save these poor people? You know, here you are driving in your luxury cars and living in your beautiful homes and there's starving, thirsty people everywhere. It's unfair. Who will go? All that, that's a bitter soul coming out of that single girl. It sure is. The, these single missionary girls that they, they have a way of making it appear like they're the only one doing anything for God and everybody else is just worthless. That's bitterness. That's Simon the sorcerer. And they're trying to, through emotional manipulation like a sorcerer would, uh, get you to believe that they're some great one. Mm-hmm. Bitter people have no real fruit. They just don't. Jesus said, you'll know people by their fruit. Look around. 
A fruit is what, uh, what do they produce from season to season? Now look at them. What do they produce? Are, are they given a task? And when, when, when it's all said and done, is that task better than the way they found it? And yeah, they got good fruit, but if, if not, if everything is worse, they have no fruit. Uh, they're bitter. They're bitter. They're bitter. Uh, lastly, this kind of just comes to my mind. People that are bitter don't want to be a team player in the church. They want to be involved, but on their own terms, they don't want to be a team player. It's not working together as a team. It's, they, they can only work alone and only be seen alone. You know, it's just bitterness. I just want to say it like this. You cannot be promoted through grievances. You can't. You cannot be promoted if you've got secret iniquity. You want to know why, guy, you're not getting opportunities to preach because you got a porn problem and your pastor can feel it and know it. You want the power of God, you can't have the power of God with the porn. You're going to have to choose one or the other. You know, we don't want that spirit of pornography and lust and and perversion being leaked all over the altar call while people are trying to get the Holy Ghost. No, we're called to be holy. Repent of your bitterness. Repent of your iniquity. Come out of it. Come out of your emotional manipulation. Come out of those tactics. And walk in the humility of the Lord. But having complete boldness and confidence in Him. And having the proper motives to do ministry. You do those things, you're going to catch the attention of the Holy Ghost. You're going to catch the attention of the angels. You're going to catch the attention of your pastor. So maybe you've been praying, give me power, give me power, 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 power. And you're not getting any of it. You're Simon the sorcerer. You got bitterness. Do what Peter said. Pray for forgiveness. All right? Pray for forgiveness. That's what you need to do. Simon wouldn't do it. He said instead, you pray for me. You pray for me. Wrong answer. He had the opportunity to be forgiven right then and there and have his life changed. And he could have ended up being an apostle, but nope, he wouldn't do it. He refused to repent because he loved his sin. He loved his hate. He loved his sadness. He loved his bitterness. And you know what? He perished along with his money. So sad. Didn't have to leave. It didn't have to be that way. But it's like Brother Cole said earlier on in our soundbite. There's a difference between being hurt and being bitter. Hurt can become bitterness. But when you're bitter, you are finished. You're done. Until you repent of it. It's poison in the soul. And only you can get it out. I'm Justin C. Gleason. God bless you. It seems so clear today. Why not yesterday instant replay? There I go again without having anything to say. UFOs. A lot of talk about them. A lot of journalists are investigating these UFOs. I think after 70 years of UFO sightings, people are finally wanting answers nowadays. We've got this pandemic. We've got commotion. You know, the last thing we need is 
more unanswered questions like UFOs. Um, let me t- uh, tell you this: when it comes to UFOs, it, I, I don't I don't really have any concrete ideas about it. But I get asked questions about it, and it's fun to talk about. It's easy to get passionate about, it. and I, I love seeing the videos. You know, I think they're really cool. Um, I've just written down a few notes here this year about UFOs that I want to bring to you that I think you'll find interesting. Notice this. They're always called unidentified flying objects. They're always in the air. They're never on the ground. They're never, you know, up in a tree. They're never resting upon a building. They they don't like descend and rest upon anything on this earth. They always stay floating in the air. It is always a flying object. Remember that. Okay, that that that's 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 something that's uh, very very uh, I think key to understanding what they are. Another thing is, for whatever reason, from time to time, when pictures or videos are taken, you will see angels and demons. Things from the spirit world appear in pictures. Uh, there's some ideas about that just because you know, the spirits are made of, of the air. They exist in the air. You know, it's like you know you look at a scuba diver down in, down in the ocean. You know they're floating around in the water. Then you see dolphins come by and sharks and and whales and squids and things like that. They're floating. It's like they're flying in the water. Well, that's how spirits are above the water in the air. They float in the air. They're able to just travel through the atmosphere and and fly. You know that's different to us because we're bound to gravity and we we walk. <laughs> We don't. We're not of the air. the The air. The it's the the unseen spirit world. And from time to time, with the quick shutter speeds and catching a certain angle, sometimes the spirit world manifests in pictures. I've got uh, personal pictures. Uh, uh, you scroll through. I think I still got it up on Instagram. There was a, a big fire in some guy's backyard, and. He saw that fire miraculously starting to be put out, and he took a picture, and there's this being next to the fire, and it clearly is an angel of the Lord. It's got the wings, all that. It's stopping the fire. This this happens. I've got pictures of demons caught on camera, just real stuff. It really happens. Okay? You just notice whenever this happens, angels and demons look like angels and demons. UFOs don't have the wings. Uh, they don't have the horns. They don't have the uh, grotesque look about them. It's always some kind of technology. So I'm going to go ahead and rule out that UFOs, they're not angels and they're not demons. Or perhaps maybe they are angels, but not the winged angels. But perhaps maybe they're what Ezekiel calls in the Hebrew, the Merkava, which what we translate in English to be wheel. I have seen these angels. The Lord has opened my eyes to see these angels, these Merkava. They look, as Ezekiel described, a wheel within a wheel that have eyes all around them. Now, when he says eyes, you know, you'll see it sometimes in like drawn up Bible studies and graphics. They have like eyeballs, like human eyeballs all all throughout them. No, it's not that way. Eyes means openings. Like Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
the eye is an opening. They have openings in and out of them. And these openings create a beautiful sound to usher in the presence of God. Uh, the uh, cherubim and the seraphim have these same type of openings all throughout their wings and their body. It creates a, a sound. It's It sounds uh, very similar, actually, to, to a Hammond B3 organ. <laughs> very, very similar to those organs, actually. The organs is like a heavenly sound. That's why Pentecost was so attracted to them. I've heard these sounds. I've heard them in early morning prayer. They're absolutely real. Okay. So these Merkava, they look like a wheel in the wheel. Imagine um, Saturn, the planet Saturn. You know, you have the, the, the planet and then you have the rings around it. These Merkava look very similar to that. Very, very similar to that. It's like a big, a big ball in the middle of it and then it rings around it. And it's not just a wheel. It's not a technology. It's actually a bean. It's an angel that's shaped like a wheel and it carries the uh, presence of God. Yeah, they act like chariot wheels. So are these flying saucers perhaps fallen angels that were once Merkava that fell with Satan? Yeah, they're out there floating around. You know, they're cast out of heaven, so they got to float somewhere. Whose glory are they going to carry? Okay. All right. I think that is real. That is definitely a possibility. I'm not going to rule that out. Okay. The Lord last year... I believe I have gotten some insight into the spirit world. You know, there's people out there that believe in flat earth. I've got flat friends that believe in flat earth, smart guys, uh, delightful guys. And and that's fine. You know, some parts of earth are flat, <laughs> you know, you know, some of it, some parts of it is, but I, I tend to lean towards the round earth idea. Okay. I, I, I just do. Uh, but I began to inquire of the Lord last year, you know, during the lockdown. I, I wanted to know some certain answers about the spirit world. And I had a, a night vision and I saw a pyramid, but it wasn't like a pyramid like you think in Egypt. Oh, no, it was more like a, uh, like a realm, a completely different universe. And I looked up and I saw God, the glory of God. And I, I saw angels. I saw cities. I saw a beautiful thing, and it was shaped like a pyramid. And I'm still praying about it. I'm still meditating about it. I'm still searching out the matter. But I believe the spirit world is shaped like a pyramid. There are certain aspects of the spirit world that are shaped like a pyramid, not a flat disk. Not not a globe, you know. And I don't think we have yet to see a planet that's shaped like a pyramid, or a star that's shaped like a pyramid, or even a galaxy shaped like a pyramid. It's always circular, okay, or something like that. But I think there are aspects of the spirit world that are shaped like a pyramid. And you look at that video of the Marines; they took the, it's like a, a a triangle, a pyramid floating around in the sky. So that's uh, spirit world stuff. So I, I think it could be spiritual but not so much angels and demons but rather perhaps spiritual beings that have the look of a wheel the look of a, the flying saucer uh perhaps the look of a pyramid i i don't know but maybe you do uh, if you got some ideas i'd love to hear back from you let's talk about the timing of ufos ufos started to be seen about 50 years ago in the 19 in the late 1940s early 1950s well, what happened around that time? 
uh, immediately I think of the formation of the UPC. That's right. UPC formed 1945 and all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> the, uh, the spirit world awakened and we started seeing crazy things flying in the sky. All right. Perhaps that's true. Wouldn't surprise me. UPC is powerful. Amen. But you also have the rebirth of Israel in 1948. That happened then. Uh, World War II completely shaped the, wor- the world. Now we're, st- we're still affected by it. You know, it heightened spiritual activity and it could have been uh, spiritual activity happened. You know, that's just really interesting. Why 70 years ago? Well, Jesus said in Bible prophecy, they will see fearful sights in the heavens. Well, what does that mean? I, I obviously would think of it as being, you know, the sun is darkened with eclipses. That's a sign. And, and one happened actually uh, uh, here this week. And, and a few weeks ago, you had a lunar uh, eclipse. That happened. Right? Um, <laughs> uh, right around a few days before uh, this past presidential election, what rose in the sky? They called it a hunter's moon. It's a big old hunter's moon. And what's been the uh, been a big issue with this administration hunter biden and these uh racism things which is just absolutely disgusting by the way uh this is just the beginning of what you're going to see from this guy i i just feel it he he is low he is disgusting but it's he's going to be a big deal this is just the beginning it's it's not just the drugs the prostitution uh you know, uh, all the racism stuff that's come out about about him now, th- horrible things that he that he's been saying. There's going to be a deeper than that. Uh, the the all of the the suspicious ways he made money. I, I don't want to get into all of this, but I just feel it. It was a sign when that Hunter's Moon. I knew Hunter Biden would become a major issue, and we're going to see more and more of it. More of it. You watch. That was a sign from God. You'll see it. You will see it. That's right. But yeah, you have signs happening in the sky. Well, Jesus said fearful sights will be seen. Well, UFOs are terrifying looking. Could it be that's what Jesus is talking about? All right. You know, for years, they thought it was Russia spying on us. Well, Russia has their own UFO program. It's legit. It's a real thing. They see them too. And so does China. UFOs are seen all over the world. I'm going to go ahead and rule out it is not a human technology. It really isn't. If anything, it could be evil men have partnered with spirit beings to make a crazy type of technology. I believe that uh, people that get into deep witchcraft and deep sorcery, and it exists right now, they're trying to prepare the world for the beast. They partner with devils in the knowledge that the devils know, and and, uh, these people get into that, and they make uh, certain technologies. And it could be what those UFOs are. It is crafted by man but from the intellect of a demonic spirit that's why it looks so bizarre it's unidentified because the uh, technology of it did not come from a human being it came from the intellect of an evil being spiritual wickedness in high places okay lastly and i've debated whether or not to tell this maybe maybe I've, i've told this publicly i'm pretty sure i told it to our local church okay i have seen a ufo I sure have. I saw it in the summer of 2018. The summer of 2018, I would go out of church on Wednesday nights, and every evening at about 9.45 at night, I would look in the northern sky, and I would see a light up in the sky. 
it looked like a, just a round ball up in the sky. And I thought it was a planet at first, but I got out my phone, my little application to search out planets and stuff. And I looked at it. It's not a planet. It didn't, it didn't appear on my phone. Wasn't a star constellation, planet, comet, none of that. It was just this light. And I thought perhaps it was just a satellite. It's easy to see satellites at night. Go, go out on any given night. Just stare up at the sky and you'll see cell phone satellites come, come uh, traipsing by. They're, re they're really cool you know, to see. Get out your binoculars, watch them go by. It's really neat to see that. But this was much bigger than a satellite. And it was just a standstill light that would just shine in the sky. And I saw this. Uh, the beginning of the summer in 2018, then I saw it the, in June, saw it the next week, the next week, the next week. Finally, in the middle of August, after seeing this thing one night, I come outside and I look at that and I just stare at it. And it was like I really wanted to know what that was up in the sky. And I didn't tell anybody about this. I look up in the sky and this final night that it appeared to me and I watched that thing move to the right. It moved to the left. It went down. It went up and it made a pattern in the sky. And when that happened, I, I mean, I just like freaked out. I could not believe what I was seeing. And I watched that thing. It was like it was looking right at me and it knew I could see it and it shook. It like kind of trembled and flickered and then it disappeared. And after that, I got in my car and I thought, oh, my Lord, what did I just see? What did I just see? And uh, I'm not sure what I saw. All I know is that repeated on Wednesday evenings after church, I go out and see this this little glow up in the sky, this little ball of light. And after about seven weeks of seeing this on the last time, it did a pattern and disappeared. And I haven't seen it since. There in a the summer of 2018. Okay. Um, I don't know what else to say about this. But I, something's up. UFOs, whenever they appear, war happens. Whenever they appear, catastrophe happens. You know, they're watching something. They're, re they're ready to see. They're anticipating what's about to happen upon the earth. Or they're watching. You know, in the book of Daniel, it talks about watchers descending from the heavens. So it just goes to prove that not everything is what you see. But there are powers and forces in this universe that are unexplained. And it's time for the world to wake up and re realize this world is not headed for anything good, but destruction is coming. Fire will be sent upon the earth to consume everything. And the only hope you have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So UFOs and stuff, it should move us to repent. It should move us to get right with the Lord. I'm just going to chalk it up. It's just a fearful sight. And when you see it, don't be discouraged, but rather keep your head up for your redemption draws nigh. That's right. I love all of you. Was that that bad? It wasn't that bad. It didn't get too weird, did it? <laughs> I didn't talk about little green men or any of that, but uh, I would love to hear back from some of you guys. I don't really solicit a whole lot of questions on this show. But I would love to hear your questions. I'd love to hear your feedback on UFOs. What do you think? What do you see? Uh, what, what is God saying to you? What have you discovered about it? I'm Justin C. Gleason, your host. I love you. Be blessed. Be blessed.